Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. E-Road provides fleets with advanced capabilities for remote reefer control, real-time compartment mismatch detection, product-specific temperature alerts, and a host of compliance management applications. It's time to revisit how your refrigerated goods are monitored. Welcome back to Running the Nice, the coolest community in freight. I'm your host, Mary O'Connell, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, and everything happening in the cold chain world. Not only is there the coolest show in freight, but there's also the newsletter that could not be colder. You can subscribe to that on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. Before we get into our guest interview, there's some, let's get into some headlines. Central Storage and Warehouse, a top Midwest cold storage and customized warehouse services provider, is pleased to announce its recent expansion of its Caledonia, Wisconsin facility. The expansion added approximately 5,500 pallet positions for their existing Caledonia facility. Located roughly 20 miles south of Milwaukee, looking forward, CSW has plans to add approximately 25,000 more pallet positions to their overall network in the future. The global cold storage market was valued at a one point. $2 million in 2022. The boom in cold storage market is due to a significant rise in the demand for perishable food items. The cold storage market has witnessed significant growth in recent years due to its various factors. One of the key drivers is increasing demand for perishable goods, including fresh fruits and vegetables, dairy products, meat, seafood, and frozen food items. As the global population grows and consumer preferences shift towards healthier and fresher food options, the need for reliable cold storage facilities becomes crucial to preserve the quality and extend the shelf life of these products. Inflation has cooled in many countries, but most in most of them, food inflation remains rampant, and there are reasons to fear it may accelerate. A combination of disrupted exports, usually unusually hot weather, and Russia's continued pounding of the Ukraine, one of the world's largest grain producers, is likely to add fresh momentum to the main source of global inflation. UK food prices rose 17.4% in the year through June, while Japanese prices were up 8.9% and French prices were up 14.8%. Today we are joined by Don Durham, a Vice President of Customer Solutions at PLM Fleet. Welcome to the show, Don. Thank you, Mary. Good to be here. So before we get to before we get started, let's get some background on you and kind of how you ended up at PLM Fleet. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I was actually 12 years in law enforcement. I did Pretty much everything you'd think of. I did some undercover work, patrol work, was on the SWAT team, and that what I actually was doing my degree at the same time. Got that got that degree and left law enforcement and uh, actually took a job uh, working for PLM uh, at, in sales uh, for and it was a two year plan. Twenty eight years later, I'm still here, and it's afforded me the opportunity to travel the world. Uh, I've I've worked in uh, in Africa and Asia. Uh, all in the um, pursuit to, you know, make better supply chains. I absolutely love that. Who knew that uh, going from police work to supply chain would land you all across the all across the globe? So one of the things that we're kind of breaking down today is the new food traceability rule that's coming through the food supply chain. Um, it's 
Uh, it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's new. You know, we, we love a good new rule. Um, but how does, so what is this new food traceability rule? And what is its old, what is its main goal to kind of improve food safety, safety and food visibility? Yeah, really good question. And so uh, this has been in the making for a very, very long time. So back in 2011, President Obama signed the FISMO, a fit food safety modernization. I can tell you there was nothing modern about it. It was all about document what you're doing. Okay. And so everybody had to do certain particular roles. Back in 2019, uh, they held a, a group and they invited 100 experts. And I was one of those experts uh, that they invited up to Washington, D.C. And they came up with the new era of a smarter food safe. And so from that, they worked uh, for several years to build up the what we now call the FISMA 204 rule, enhanced traceability for certain foods. Now, it's not all foods. It's just certain foods. So you can think of fresh cut vegetables. You can think of tomatoes, cucumbers. You can think of uh, crustaceans, fish, things like that that are on that list. Why did they pick those? Probably because those are the ones that get recalled the most. And so they just put those on that particular list to do. So what this actually really requires is enhanced traceability for these certain foods along the supply chain. So if you manufacture pack, hold, or ship out anything on this particular list, you have to keep enhanced traceability. So the, 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 the uh, documents, the, the information will have to travel with the food. So just to give you kind of the flip side of that, today we're only required where'd you get it from and where'd you ship it to. And so FDA, when they have a food recall, it's very difficult for them to find exactly where that has happened. And so they have to go, okay, so where'd you, where'd you eat at? It's a restaurant, Mary. Mary says, I ate at this particular restaurant. They go, where did you get your food from on these particular dates? We got it from that. So they just work their way backwards. Sometimes they never find out where this is at. So in this world, you're going to now be able to take a look at, at where you got sick at or potentially from a fruit safety issue and then immediately trace it back. So the interesting thing also is that you're going to have to keep these required KDEs, key data elements, and the critical tracking events all along the supply chain. And you'll have to keep those for a period of time. What's going to be different is now restaurants are going to have to keep that information too. So think about that. That hamburger that you had at your local fast food restaurant, you're going to have to have a tomato, lettuce, and a and uh, cheese on that hamburger be in a repository for a certain period of time. And so that's the difference here. That's enhanced traceability requirements. I It seems kind of logical to have those traceabilities because, you know, you want to know ultimately, you know, if someone does get sick or we do need to have a recall, we want to know where everything came from. Um, I kind of feel underwhelmed and maybe a little disappointed that it's not that there's not already something like that in place because it just seems so logical. I it's it's mind blowing, mind blowing. So uh, thank you for help helping make it so that way people, uh, you know, don't get sick as much because um, nobody nobody likes food poisoning. It's not fun. Nobody likes to get sick from eating out or eating at all because um, unfortunately we have to eat and we don't want to get sick as a result from it. Um, so what are some of these key requirements and obligations that food businesses need to adhere to under this new rule and kind of how does it impact various stages of the supply chain? Are we expected to see more 
shortages? Are we expected to see other things? Um, basically, like, what are we looking at for some of these businesses? Yeah, really good question. And and what's going to happen now is, and, and there's going to be additional burdens. Record-keeping requirements are going to be much more stringent. And, um, you know, who's going to fight against food safety, right? Nobody's going to officially do that. But when you change businesses and the requirements that are going to be followed with those, there are certain things you're going to have to do. So now you're going to have to keep records of when you receive a product, you have to prepare a receiving KDE. So you have to actually do some paperwork, make sure you got all of the one or two pages worth of, of information that you're required to keep. Make sure you have that from the person that shipped it to you. If not, you've got to go back and get it. And then you have to, when you ship it back out of your facility, you're going to have to prepare a shipping KD to do the same thing. So what's going to also happen is you're going to be required to keep that information in a repository. And the time limit you have to keep it in there is for two years. So remember that uh, example I gave you at the fast food restaurant. You're going to have to keep that tomato in a repository for two years on a sortable spreadsheet. There are some exceptions, but right now it's it's uh, for two years and be required to produce that within 24 hours. So that's some of the challenges that you're going to have there. So the rule, you know, when you look at the rule, it's actually only 24 pages long, four pages of it are actually the food that's on the list. But just to let you know, there's another 573 pages that actually explains those 20 pages. And so the way the government does this is they have the rule itself, and then they do comments from industry, and they do their responses. And so you have comments and responses. There, there are 540 of these conversations within there. And so... That's a problem. There are 230 howevers in a rule. That can't be good for any law. Most people aren't going to read, like me, the nearly 600 pages in there. I do that. That's what I do. But there's some areas of concern that I would feel that you know supply chain is going to have. Is they're essentially, although they deny it, they're essentially asking for case level track to be able to go down the supply chain. The other thing they're actually looking at is that if you if you get some product, uh, some food from a farmer that's maybe exempt, the farmer is exempt, but the food isn't. So if you're a distributor, if you receive that food, you have to go back and build a traceability lot code, which means you're now going to have to find out what field it was picked, what data was picked, create your own traceability lot code to ship that on down the supply chain. And then the last one I'll tell to you about, and there's plenty more, is cross-dock situation was very common with a lot of your listeners out there. Um, FDA said, hey, we're not really going to include cross-docking, that you're going to have to prepare a shipping and a receiving KD. But this is one of those howevers. However, if the temperature is different from the trailer to the cross-dock, you will not have to become part of the wreck. And so that's why, you know, it, there's a lot of nuances here on not just having that records and food safety, there's a lot of burden on industry to understand this, to keep those records. That seems like a whole barrel of monkeys that just got opened and is tipped out because what seems like such a simple idea of, oh, we just want to know where something was grown and, you know, uh, everywhere it touched along the way. Now, suddenly, everyone had everyone in that 
in that chain has to have the forward and backwards data. And it's just, it seems excessive. I'm not going to lie. It seems excessive, but important, but it's just a little excessive. So I guess when it comes to the technological aspect of this, um, you know, you said it needs to be in a sortable spreadsheet. So that part's pretty easy. You know, you get the spreadsheet. If I'm a manager of a Wendy's, I can look and say, I want to know where my lettuce came from. And it shows me there. But it's not as simple as like literally just typing in my lettuce came from Seattle. Um, And so kind of what do those technological advancements look like? Is it something even feasible for most carriers and restaurants? Um, Because, you know, some restaurants aren't exactly running on the most high tech of technology. Um, Usually it's an owner and maybe a Google Doc if you're lucky. Um, Others have it down to like meticulous science, um, but not everyone is a Michelin star restaurant. So what kind of technology change has or can we expect to happen there? And as well as at the beginning, you know, with farmers who you don't necessarily track everything or um, maybe might not be using the the fastest and freshest uh, tech. Yeah, really. Another really good question. And 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 really, it is a problem. OK, and in, uh, in our industry, everybody's got a, a different ERP system or WMS. Nobody talks to one another. We're not sharing data all across the supply chain. So it becomes very, very difficult to do that. The other thing you have is you have a challenge there with uh, no common language. Okay, you hear about barcodes or GS1 barcodes and things like that. But then not everybody's using those things. And then there's other barcodes within there that they talk about. So now you're talking about tracking and tracing along the supply chain. The other challenge you have is uh, security. Do I really want to share my information of who my trading partners are along the supply chain? Um, why do I need to do that? And then also you have to look at even within uh, you know the people aspect, uh, people picking products. I mean, there are anywhere between 70 and 90% turnover rate every year in those type of locations. So what technology can actually do is help you digitize the supply chain. And that's really what we're looking at. Um, you know, the velocity of food moves so quickly along the supply chain that, um, you know, it's very difficult to track and trace it. You know, if you miss a pair of pants and, uh, you know, it goes a couple of months sitting in the warehouse, you're fine. You're not so fine if it's an apple or a tomato that sits in the in cold storage for that period of time. So, the capability, the use of technology along supply chain is going to be very, very important. In fact, that is one of the pillars of the uh, the new era of a smarter food safety, which is technology-enabled supply chain. So one of the things that you, um, that obviously this rule is supposed to prevent is food waste. And so if we enhance technology throughout the supply chain, is that actually, is that potentially going to reduce the amount of food waste um, that we see? Because Obviously, we'll know where tomatoes came from, um, but it, is it, could it actually help reduce the amount of food that gets lost to landfills? Yeah, a really, good, really good question. Of course, USDA tells us that forty percent of our food is actually wasted. If you took all the rotting food in the world and you put, you made it a country, it would be the third largest carbon producing nation in the world. So, behind uh, uh, China first, U.S., and then of course you got rotting food. So. Think about the velocity of food has to move through the supply chain and how quickly it does. And, you know, we're all paper-based and ERP systems and WMSs that do not communicate with one another. Um, then you have a real problem of, you know, a date on that food. 
some some call it uh, expiration date. Some will call it, um, you know, at uh, best uh, freshness date. You'll have some other ones that talk uh, best use by date, shelf life dates, so all these dates. So what we're using is is we're using a technology that uh, we've been developing for a couple of years where we were digitizing trailers. Now we're doing it at the case level. And what we're doing now is be able to give every food case a birth certificate. We actually go down the product level and we give them a birth certificate and it's very unique. So when you scan at the grocery store and you've got that can of peas in your hand, you can keep scanning and it will keep charging. What we've done is take that particular marker, make it very unique in the cloud and so, therefore, you cannot scan it again. We're able to designate that particular one. So, if we have better insights to our food, and when I mentioned all those expiry dates that, that we go by, supply chain typically works in food first in, first out. Okay? I got it in. It's going to be the first one that gets out of there. But there may be a hold in supply chain at some point. So, what we're able to do is ingest that information and say, you know what? It's first expiring that needs to go out. I know this came in today, but it needs to leave tomorrow in order for you to have that in the supply chain. So we're utilizing technology. What's really different about what we're doing now is we we can use the 50-year-old technology of the barcode, but we can also use newer technologies that don't allow a line of sight. So as it passes through a portal, I can pick all that data. So kind of very interesting on what we're doing and then give information back to to the end user. So basically, you guys have brought that real-time visibility into the products in your warehouse and into that food supply chain that honestly maybe not have it and is kind of missing that technological advancement that the rest of the supply chain world is getting. You know, like everyone's got a new visibility tool that comes out every other day, it seems like, but you guys have really kind of gotten down to it. Also, I love the fact that the food gets the birth certificate. It makes me feel like, you know, it's, it's going to get like a cute hat that comes with it. So if only you could get a tiny, cute like hats that go with the fruit, the fruit, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, an interesting one we've done is we have actually um, did work with Ohio State uh, with a major retailer and a major food producer. And we actually tracked mangoes down in, um, in Peru and how they traveled through supply chain with temperature. And, uh, you know, it was very, they were very surprised to find out that it took six months in cold storage to go from Peru all the way up to Indiana to a grocery store. That is, I did not, first of all, I did not know mangoes could even last for six months once they were, once they were picked. I mean, I know they were kept in cold storage, but that's If they're seems, frozen, they can. That's true. That is true. But that is, that is impressive. Um, I'm really excited for the, basically like what else this technology can do and the other studies that you guys um, have coming out or that you end up working with because I think that the more we learn about this type of stuff and how long it actually takes for something to get somewhere, the more we can, you know, bring that food waste number down from 40 to, I don't know, anything lower than 40. Yes, that would be very good. Yes. So there is a question on the show that everyone has to answer when they come on. And I feel like it's really appropriate for today um, because we've talked about food. Uh, is cereal considered a soup? No, cereal is not a soup. I'll be very definite on that because if I'm at a restaurant and it's the evening time and if they tell me, uh, could I have soup of the day? And they bring me out a bowl of cornflakes with uh, milk. I'm pretty disappointed. 
I 100% stand by that. Um, it's just, it's not a soup, man. It's just, it's a good thing is cereal. Don't get me wrong. I love cereal. But like, again, like you said, if someone brought out some soup and it was like a bowl of cereal, I mean, I would be happy because I prefer cereal over milk, over soup. But, you know, it's still not soup, you know, when you're craving something like hearty and warm. Well, I'll push back on you to say if I'm having a steak and it's uh, it come before I have that steak, I have a bowl of cornflakes. I'm not a happy camper. Fair. That is fair. That would kind of ruin my dining experience as well. Um, so if someone wants to reach out to you and figure out about, um, you know, the technology you guys have, birth dates on for produce and, um, you know, kind of how you've been able to get past that trailer level uh, of visibility, where can they reach you outside of the show? Sure. They can reach out to me. Go to the uh, the PLM website, plmfleet.com or my name, ddart at plmfleet.com or reach out to me on what used to be Twitter called X now. Uh, it's at Don Durham Speaks. And of course, LinkedIn is always Don Durham at LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's great. Great to be here. Thank you. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on Fretwaves TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on Fretwaves.com slash Running on Ice. See you on the internet.